but for me in that moment of that shoebox, I didn't just know about God. Now I knew His heart. Mm -hmm. And that's what I desired to know more. Mm -hmm. I felt like I knew about Him quite a bit because I read mm -hmm. the Bible mm -hmm. over and over again. But I wanted to know Him and His heart deeper and more. Welcome to another episode of On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse, a podcast taking you to the front lines and behind the scenes of our work around the world. I'm your host, Christy Graham, and Operation Christmas Child season is here. I'm so excited. My family loves packing shoeboxes, and it's such an exciting ministry, but I love the way that my entire family can do this together. We let the kids pack a box for a child of their age, and they're able to shop and pick out items that they themselves would want to receive. And it's so fun to see their personality come through, but more importantly, to be able to pray over and know that this box truly is the gospel being sent to the ends of the earth. So to get us ready for packing boxes, I sat down with Isabella McMillan, who received an Operation Christmas Child as a child in communist Romania. Isabella is now the Speakers Bureau Manager for Operation Christmas Child here at Samaritan's Purse. And this conversation truly encouraged and convicted me the entire time and reminded me why we pack shoeboxes, to share the gospel and to bring God's love and his heart to these children. So this is long overdue. We've always wanted to talk to you and hear your story, but you've always been setting up people for us. So when, as you have spokespersons in Boone, you, you're so kind and gracious to let us know. And so we often talk to them. That's and right. haven't had time to talk to you, Isabella. So thank you for coming up and making a trip to be able to share what God's done in your life through a shoebox. Absolutely. My pleasure. It's so good to sit down with you finally. Yes, this is long overdue. I'm so excited, but God just revealed the timing is now. So to start, mm -hmm. Isabella, would you just share what you do with Samaritan's Purse and how long you've been working with the ministry? So I have the privilege to serve as the Speaker's Bureau Manager within Operation Christmas Child. I have been serving for seven years in this full-time role, just a little over seven years. Mm -hmm. And Speaker's Bureau Manager, probably people are like, well, what is that? Mm -hmm. It's basically the way I look at it is a bridge between our regional offices domestically with Operation Christmas Child and our spokespersons who are, most of them, former shoebox recipients who have received the shoebox at one point in their lives. And now they're telling the story of what God has done through the shoebox. So my role is to train them, to get them ready uh, for going out there and sharing their stories and then serving our field offices in that way. So we're in churches, we are at conferences, we are at project leader workshops, we are at events across the country where Operation Christmas Child is being talked about and promoted. And we just make that personal connection for the people to understand that it is about a life that they are touching, not big numbers and lots and lots of shoeboxes. Sometimes that's all people see. And we want to help them to see that it's a life that they are changing. Mm -hmm. I know. I love that. I love that a shoebox is like a fingerprint or a snowflake. You know, no, no one's the same and same as the child getting the shoebox. And so that's why we want to talk to you today because, like you said, we can get lost in the numbers. And, and even as we start the season, we want to remind people why we're doing this. Why? It's people like you, Isabella. And so you yourself received a shoebox. So I want to start, um, maybe just even start about where you where you came from and what it was like growing up under communism and maybe explain to us a little bit about how that impacted your family in such a heavy way. 
Right. So my story starts back in communist Romania. So when I was born, it was already communism. So that is all we knew growing up. And communism was very, very different living through it than now when I look back and I read history books. That sounds very different than what we lived. So for us, a lot of different things that stand out, but mainly my most vivid memories are just watching my parents just huddled around our kitchen table and strategizing over how they're going to feed us the next day. How are they going to buy shoes for us? How are they going to make sure that we have everything to be able to go to school? So they worked very, very hard. They worked in a factory their entire lives. Um, my dad and my mom, when they got married, they lived in a small village. And when they got married, the government assigned them where they're going to work for the rest of their lives and where they're going to live. So they were assigned to this little two-bedroom apartment where my brother and I, we grew up our entire lives, and that's where they did life. There was no choice. It wasn't an option of choice. And even to this day, my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation, for sure, they just simply don't know how to be decision makers to this day. So the ripple effects of that is definitely still there. So that was one part of communism, that all the decisions were made for you, what to eat, everything was on portion. Mm -hmm. And so the government told you how much you deserve. Uh, we typically had um, four eggs for, the, for a family of four for a month. And for that, you would have to stay in long lines or you would have one kilogram of sugar for a month. Whatever it was, we were actually very blessed because our city had a bread factory and it, it made just enough bread every day for everyone every day to get their portion of bread if nobody stole anything. So we were guaranteed at least our portion of bread for a day, which was a quarter of a bread. So the, for the four of us, it was a full round loaf of bread every day. And the most exciting things my brother and I did growing up were standing in lines because that was always exciting. If we saw people running on the street, we were trained as kids to put our shoes on, get in line as fast as we could, and then wait it out. Typically, you didn't know what you will get. You just stood in line because there was word on the street that trucks were coming, bringing something. So you would just wait it out, right? And whatever it was, whatever the surprise was for that day. So that was a highlight for us. Every time when we got to just wait and stand in line and, and see what we will get. And then the other thing that was a big goal of communism is to make sure that God's name was not known. Mm -hmm. So just saying the name of God out loud could have cost your life. Um, owning a Bible could cost your life. Mm -hmm. But I, I love your story because some people get a shoebox. They'd never heard about God, ever. Never heard about the Bible. You, God started pricking your heart. And I want you to share about people, how you started reading God's Word in, in, a, in a closed country. Um, how did the Lord start speaking to you? He has His ways, doesn't He? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so even in that spiritual darkness, you know, he just really came into our life in such an unexpected way. So my brother and I, we used to spend a lot of time home alone. My mom and dad worked long hours in a factory every day, and we were home alone a lot. And so we were looking around for something to do in the house, right? Like, what can we do today before mom and dad gets home? And in our living room, which was mom's bedroom at night, you know, mom and dad's bedroom at night, and it was our dining room when we needed to eat, whatever it needed to be. So we had this little room. But we had an area rug in that room, and we noticed that there was something underneath the area rug. And we pulled
pulled up the rug just to kind of see what is it. And one of the tiles of our wooden floor was popped up and loose. And so we picked up the tile and then the tile comes up and there is a small hole in the floorboard of our apartment, just big enough that our hands fit in it. And we felt that there was something and we pulled it out and it was a book. And when we opened it up, on the first page, it said the Bible. Now, we never heard about the Bible before, right? We didn't know what it was. What we knew is that, oh, it's a book in our house we didn't know about. That's great. We didn't read this one yet. So that's fantastic. We love to read. My brother and I, we love to read. So here's this new book that we didn't know what was in our house, and we just started reading it, just like we were taught in school. You start on page one, right? And so we started reading this book. And we got so excited. We never heard these kind of stories before, that there is a God who created everything. We started at the beginning, right? In the beginning. And by the time mom and dad came home that day, we were just past the story of Noah. And the story of Noah was just amazing to us. I mean, think about it. As a child, as a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old, you read for the first time. You never heard this story. You are not used to, in Sunday school, you hear it every other Sunday, you know, this was the first time we read this story, and we are trying to picture what does that look like when the whole earth is covered with water, and how big does the boat really need to be for all the animals to fit in? I mean, our imagination was going wild, right? And we ran up to the door. My mom and dad came home, and we were telling them all about this book, like, look what we found. And dad just got this dead serious look on his face, and I just knew we were in trouble, and he kind of pointed his finger at us and he said, you take that book back where you found it and don't ever take it out again and don't tell anyone mm-hmm. what you found in our house. Mm-hmm. You see, for us, we didn't realize that that was something that would put us in danger. My dad knew very well. We actually learned much later in life when we were adults mm-hmm. that that was a family Bible passed down in our family, that my parents were hiding under the floorboard of our home, and they would take it out at night after they sent us to bed, and they would read it themselves. And what happened the night before, we found that when they put it back, that last tile didn't go back right, and they didn't notice, but we did. Mm -hmm. And so that's what God used for us to find it. They just didn't feel like we were old enough at that point to Mm -hmm. share that with us, to tell us, you know, what if we go out on the playground and we start talking about this Mm -hmm book in the floorboard of our house, right? And somebody hears it and the next day they could come for us. So my dad was very aware of that. So that's how God really started working on our lives. Now, do you think, you said it was a family Bible. You didn't know that at the time. They actually said, where did that come from? You know, they acted like they didn't know. Do you think they knew the Lord or did they read it like a fairy tale at that time, just wanting hope? I think they really looked at it as their source of hope. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they understood that it is more than just, yeah. that God is more than just the concept of hope, that He desires to have a personal relationship. I think that piece was really missing. Mm-hmm. But I think they knew that church is something that is good in mm-hmm. their perception, mm-hmm. and it wasn't allowed by communism because it is something good, that it was, God is bigger than the dictator himself. That's why God is not allowed in our country. I think they understood that concept, mm-hmm. but I don't believe that the personal relationship yeah. 
was there, right? So in their village where they grew up, um, my my dad grew up in, in a Catholic family, and there wasn't even a priest. There was a church, there was a Catholic church, but there was a priest that would come every three or four months. Um, and my dad said he, he never remembers going. So their family were not mm-hmm. church-going people. And then my mom uh, came from a Protestant family, and there was um, and these churches were there established way before communism, right? So the buildings existed, but then they didn't go there to do anything. So it was just a building that was there. Now, now they have pastors in those buildings now that communism is over, but I don't think they ever mm-hmm. understood that. There was nobody to teach them more than just mm-hmm. read this as as a source of hope. I, I really do think that's the way they, they viewed it. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's fast forward a couple years later. You know, somebody invites you to an underground church, yes. and there is a pastor, but he's limited in what he's allowed to teach. Talk to me about what an under—I've never been in one. What does an underground church look like? What was yours like? What was that experience like, being invited to something yeah, so like that? So I was at school, uh, fifth grade, out on the courtyard during recess, right? So one of my classmates comes up to me and says, hey— can I talk to you very quickly about something? And he tells me about this underground church he has been going to, and he wants me to go with him. He he is basically inviting me to go to church. Well, I couldn't picture what a church is. Like, what what is a church? What would people do there, right? And he told me that this was about a mile down the street. So in my, my underground church, I was thinking, okay, if we are going to Mm-hmm. somewhere climbing somewhere well it was just a little house that didn't look any different than all the other houses it wasn't marked in any shape or form and then people who signed up to go they were given a schedule what time to arrive and they were going there saturday nights after dark so they had to wait until it was dark on saturday nights and if you signed up to go you had a time frame when you had to arrive and then the next person had a different time frame just to kind of make sure we are not drawing attention from the outside mm-hmm. world um and there was about 12 of us and the pastor who was there, he would read to us stories. And that was that. Then who what we were questions, making sure we paid attention. He couldn't pray with us. He couldn't explain that there is more behind his stories. So that's kind of what church looked like. He was he had to be very careful mm-hmm. not to say anything that would put him or us or the church in danger. When my brother and I started coming as newcomers. He didn't know if we were truly innocent newcomers or if we were spies built in by the government. So he had to be very mindful of who was coming and going. Uh, We had pretty much of a core group. You know, once we started going, it was a very established core group of people. Uh, Very rarely would we get newcomers per se. Mm -hmm. I would have never even thought about children being spies. So... Did, were you aware of this, that kids would, would tell on your community? Was that a known thing or just adults? My parents would tell us, okay, this is this is a family in our neighborhood. It was in, in the building next to us, the apartment building next to us. There was a family. So my parents were very aware. I think adults, they kind of just figured out who the spies were. I thought always that they were pretty nice kids. You know, we did play with them from time to time, but... You know, we were just kids. We we didn't think that any of that could could present a danger to us. We didn't conceive it in that way. 
So talk to me about how you got a shoebox. Was it given through this church or through another distribution? How did you get this box into your hands, and how did God use that to to cement these things He'd been teaching you over the years? Yeah, so God definitely started His work through that Bible, right? I, it was just stories to me at that point. But he was planting the seeds. Mm -hmm. And then through my pastor who allowed me and my brother to ask him questions after everyone was gone, he opened that door. You know, I, I he didn't call it this. I didn't know it then. But now looking back, I know he was discipling us, mm -hmm. right? And it's just such a beautiful thing that just by him saying, if you have questions, once everyone is gone, you can come ask me. Like what a beautiful way to disciple someone, right? And so... God really used that to further solidify who He is and this pastor opening the door and saying, you're going to ask me questions. Mm -hmm. And one of the most important questions that I remember asking Him, uh, I was 13. So it's been two years that we've been going to this little church. We knew Him really well by then, and we just kind of knew our, our limits, what we can ask, what we can't. Um, and I went to Him and I said, I need you to teach me how to pray. And he asked me why I wanted to pray. And I said, because it's cold outside and I don't like it. And we have to go to bed at 5.30 when it's winter. And mom and dad will let us go outside and play only if it snows. So I need to pray for snow that we will have a fun winter. I mean, that's how simple-minded I was at that point, right? As a 13-year-old, I just wanted it to snow outside so I can have fun. That's literally what I was saying. And so the pastor just said, Isabella, if anybody can give you snow, God is the one and let me tell you how simple it is to talk to him. You just sit down and you talk to him like he's your best friend sitting right there next to you. You tell him what's on your heart, what's on your mind, and he will answer. Mm -hmm. Because God always answers prayers. That was it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it, he didn't make it complicated. He just said, you just talk to him like he's right there. And I thought, that's it? Like, I could have done this. I, I didn't know it would be that simple. But in my mind, it was also God showing me that He is not just a character on the pages of a book. Mm -hmm. But if He truly can answer this prayer request, then I will know that He is indeed more than just a character on the, on, on the pages of this book that we've been reading. Mm -hmm. He is God, like my pastor says, who can give you what you are asking for. And so... That was a pivotal moment for me, and I just thought, okay, well, I'm just going to pray. I, I prayed like a child, and I expected, mm -hmm. like a child, that God will answer. And tomorrow morning when I wake up, I can run up to my window, and there will be snow outside. And there wasn't, and I was disappointed, but not yet, yet, not yet ready to give up. Mm -hmm. And I kept praying, and I kept praying, and it was about two and a half months later, that it still wasn't snowing. And I was pretty disappointed by that point. But I remember going back. It was early December and went back to the church. And I looked at this pastor and I said, did you know this prayer thing is not working very well? Mm -hmm. And he said, Isabella, let me tell you something about God. He always answers prayers, just like I told you before. But sometimes his answers look differently mm -hmm. than what we imagine. And he just said, just keep your eyes open, keep watching, and God will answer. And he was so sure of that. Like, he was so sure. It's about like God will answer. You know, he was a very gentle, kind, humble man. And just the way he even said that, I thought, well, then he better, <laughs> you know? And I expected him to answer by 
snow falling from the sky and it didn't. Mm -hmm. And that is when he changed everything through a shoebox. Mm -hmm. So it was about three weeks after I had that conversation with the pastor. And I remember just seeing people running on the streets. It was the day after Christmas. And I was very disappointed on Christmas Day because I really, really wanted a white Christmas. Mm -hmm. And God just didn't come through for me. No, and I, I was so disappointed. I just thought maybe he is just a character on the pages of a book. And it was the day after Christmas that people ran on the streets. Now, remember what that meant, right? It was something at the grocery store, right? And so we were so excited and we were running and put our shoes on as fast as we could. And okay, we're gonna get something today. And people passed by the grocery store and they still looked excited. So we followed them because we are not about to miss out on something. And we ended up in the center of our little town and they were all shouting, trucks are coming, trucks are coming. And these three little trucks pulled in and they opened the backs of these trucks and they were filled with colorful little boxes. They were not in cartons like they are today. You know, it, it looked very different. And they started to give these colorful little things out to the children who were there. And I was just thinking, what is this? First of all, it was so colorful. We have never had anything colorful. Like everything we owned was black and dark blue and brown, literally. We didn't own anything colorful. And here were these beautiful, colorful things. So this lady comes up to me with a box in her hand wrapped in colorful paper. And she extends her hand and gives me this box. And I remember just looking at her that cannot be, like people don't just come here and give you something for nothing, no strings attached, that does not happen. And I asked her, what do I have to do? And she said, absolutely nothing. And I looked at her and I said, no, like I, I don't wanna do later something that I didn't sign up for, so what do I really have to do? And she said, you don't have to do anything, but is there something I can pray with you for? And I thought, well, actually, yes, there is. If you would please pray with me for snow, that would be great. And so this lady just knelt down to come down to my level, and she prayed with me right there and then for snow. And she gave me a hug and went on, and I didn't see her again. I so wish that I went to find her afterwards. Um, but here I am left with this beautiful, colorful box in my hand and just looking around, and everyone is opening theirs, and... I'm entering in my mind this safe zone, like maybe this is good, like I can actually do this and this is for me, for real. And I'm opening up this box and colorful things in it and everything was new and it smelled good. And in the corner of my box was this little thing that I couldn't really tell what it was. So I just kind of took it out, just looking at it, holding it in my hand. It was silver and blue and um, made of plastic. and. And this little boy who was passing me by, he took my hand with his hand and he said, you just have to shake it, shake it, shake it. That's how that works. And when he did that, I looked down at this little thing in my hand and the most beautiful silver snow was inside of it just flurrying around. It was this beautiful plastic snow globe. And that snow that he shook up right there in my hand in that moment to me was God saying, I am here and I am listening and I see you and I know you by name. Yeah.
out of hundreds of boxes, you know, all those kids, she hands you this one. It's not an accident. And mm-hmm. I love how it's God sees, you know, and you said mm-hmm. it earlier, Elroy, you know, I love that story of Hagar when he comes to her in the desert and he sees her. And she says, you are the God who sees. And he know, he's, he's into details. And he knows us. I mean, he knows the hairs on our head. He knows. Um, I was just reading Deut- Deuteronomy where Moses talking about coming through, the Israelites coming through the desert, and their sandals didn't wear down. You know, that's a detail. You know, he he's in the details, and he cares. And like you said, it sounds silly, and it actually isn't, because living in Boone, if it's cold, I'd rather it snow, for one. Right. If it's, it's going to be cold and miserable, it's more fun. But also, you didn't have electricity. Right. Which I didn't think about, but the snow illuminates and gave light. So it was. Oh, my parents it was, had that the wish whole was so much more. Yes. It wasn't a superficial. I just want to snow, but but had God have answered it the way you wanted, it still would have been beautiful and miraculous, mm-hmm. but not nearly as detailed and long lasting as this. So it's almost like in the waiting, mm-hmm. you know, you thought he wasn't listening, but not only was he, it just wasn't the timing, and so now you have this box. That was handpicked for you. Somebody shipped it, you know, across the world, and their tangible expression showed you God's love. So God had obviously been working. You'd mm-hmm. read his word. You'd studied his word. Mm-hmm. But now this is when you were ready. It's like the the seeds that had been planted were now ready. How did then—did you accept Christ right away? Did they share the gospel? How did you get to know the, the biggest ultimate gift, which is Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm which is a free gift to all of us as well, but we have to choose it. So talk to me about getting this physical gift that you opened and received, mm-hmm. but then the more important eternal spiritual gift that you were given. I think I needed to go through that waiting period of not seeing God mm-hmm. for Him to really teach me something. Like you said, Christy, if He, he could have given me snow, falling from the sky, and I would have loved it, and it would have been beautiful, and I would have been amazed. I just don't think that I would have learned probably the same lesson Mm -hmm. as if I was waiting for three months, and then God shows up in a very unexpected way. But I really truly believe that that is when my faith was solidified, when I said, okay, I will follow you for the rest of my life. What does it take? Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't— it wasn't shining lights or anything, you know, that, that I spoke out loud with anybody else. But in my heart, I knew who God was in that moment. And I was determined to to serve Him for the rest of my life. And, you know, it, it wasn't... It, it wasn't a road that I could see far down. I had no idea what that would look like. Communism fell just a little bit before. And um, so we were not in communism anymore at that point, but life was still very much like communism. But what happened is that I was in the seventh grade at that point. And then in the eighth grade, once you finish eighth grade, you have to decide the path of your life in Romania. So what high school you go to will determine the rest of your life, right? So high school is a big decision. Lots and lots of pressure on a middle schooler, right, (laughs) to make a decision for life. And so I was trying to decide, what am I going to do? Well, God already had a plan. And what happened is that the very first Christian high school reopened right as I was about to enter ninth grade. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to my dad, and I said, this is where I need to go. And it was free. Mm -hmm. People could not afford things. And, And so my dad said, I don't, you can you know, like it wasn't a big discussion. It was just like, this is where I want to go. I was just so excited, Christy. I was in the very first 
Christian high school that reopened in post-communist Romania. So I walked through that Christian high school. So I believe that was the first step in that direction of, of just learning more and seeing more. And so my very first job coming out of college was to teach religion classes in the same public school where I went to as a middle schooler. Mm-hmm. And I'm just amazed at that, you know, that that was the beginning of my path. God continued to weave Isabella's story. And I love how her testimony speaks of God's love and how he prepared her for things that she couldn't have even asked or imagined. And as I mentioned in the beginning, Isabella now works for Samaritan's Purse. And she she not only shares how a shoebox cha- changed her whole own life, but she also helps other people tell their stories across the country about how a simple shoebox made an eternal impact. Hearing testimonies from people all around the world reminds you what God can do with a shoebox, that He does miracles and transforms lives. And I'm reminded of the story in Matthew where Jesus feeds 5,000. And I love how when Jesus told them to feed the people, the disciples said, We have here only five loaves and two fish. But Jesus said, Bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down in the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. He blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. And now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And I love this story for so many reasons. You know, for one, um, we don't do the miracle. You know, we just bring what we have. And Jesus multiplies and, and provides the miracle. And so that's what these shoe boxes remind us. You know, we're faithful. We, we pack boxes, you know, we, we put in the, the items and we, we, do the, we do the work, but Jesus does the miracle. And I love it how time and time again, you know, we see miracles of the right child getting the right box designed for them, that God hears their hearts and sees their prayers and, and knows their, their desires. And he, in an intimate way, just like he did to Isabella, he shows them that he hears them and he sees them. And I love Isabella's prayer for snow and how God gave her a snow globe, a tangible, physical reminder that he is the God who sees, El Roy. But I also love the story how Jesus, he looked up to heaven and he blessed and he broke the loaves. You know, he looked to God and that's what we need to do in this season. We need to pray and we need to look to God for what he would have us do as we pack our boxes. You received a box. It totally changed your life. Now you get to be a bridge and partner and um, watch lives be changed. What what do you see the ministry doing and how do you see them even doing things better maybe than back when you got a box? Yeah, I love that this ministry is not just stagnant. Like this is what we have, how we always done it and this is how we will always continue to do it. We always look at how can we do this better? How can we do this more effectively? Mm-hmm. And I absolutely love the intentionality mm-hmm. because at the beginning it was just a box. Now Franklin talks about this, you know, when when he he thought, well, if we are going to give a box, then the gospel better be going with it, right? And that was a big shift and it was the best shift. And so we're intentional about making sure the children hear the gospel very clearly. 
and it's local pastors that we are partnering with. And I love that. Mm-hmm. It's not you and me, Christy, getting the shoeboxes, getting on an airplane and handing it to children and getting back on the airplane and walking away. Mm-hmm. The local pastors are the key. Mm-hmm. Those local ministry partners who are going to share the gospel with the children. Then they're going to give them these gifts as a tangible representation of God's love they just shared with them, right? Then they invite them to a discipleship course, The Greatest Journey, which we started in 2009. And now we train hundreds of thousands of teachers around the globe every year so they can walk children through a 12-week discipleship program. And that is such a beautiful thing. And then we are seeing multiplication come out of it beautifully. Their families are coming to know Christ. Their communities, churches are being built. And not that we claim to be a church uh, building, you know, like we are not church planters. That's not why we go in. But it organically happens. And isn't that beautiful? Mm-hmm. Over a thousand churches were planted just last year because of what is happening through Operation Christmas Shout. So we get to be part of so much more than just the shoebox. That's the tool mm-hmm. for ordinary things to become extraordinary in God's hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so having received a box yourself— you have children, you've taught children, you know kids so well. What do you always put in a box? What do you, I mean, I know everybody needs to pray and ask God yes. because sometimes He's asking you to send something like a snow globe. I mean, we can't actually send one anymore, but something like that that a kid is asking for. So sometimes God will impress something on our hearts. But what do you always put in there and what have you seen? Uh, what, what, what needs do you see? Um, I started packing shoeboxes back in 2004 when I discovered OCC. I didn't know about Operation Christmas Child, right? Because we are not giving out the shoeboxes in the name of Operation Christmas Child. We give them out in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I was connected with the ministry in 2004 at the little school where I was teaching. And I just always thought school supplies are so important because for some children— it might allow them to go to school, otherwise they couldn't. So we always put school supplies, something huggable, we call it huggable, something soft that a child can sleep with that will comfort them because so many of them don't have anything uh, or anyone to comfort them, right? And then we really love, love, love to put in some kind of ball. Ball, what I see, any kind of ball is an international language. Every child knows what to do with a ball. And then a non-negotiable in our family is a letter and a picture because that can be so personal. We want these children to truly know that, that God knows them and cares for them and loves them, but that there's a family here that can surround that people brothers and sisters in Christ mm-hmm. who would also love them. Mm-hmm. And we just had a beautiful story on that that, that came out of in, in 2010. My husband and I had the opportunity to go back to Romania and distribute shoeboxes. So we were in this little orphanage, 2010. You know, we kind of were in the background. We let the ministry partners do all the things that they do. But they asked us if we would hand the boxes, which was a huge honor for us. And in this little orphanage, here we are, and two of the boxes we packed that year happened to be one of those eight cartons. Out of millions of shoeboxes, two that we packed that year. And I recognized them immediately because of the wrapping paper that Mm -hmm. we used that year, Mm -hmm. right? And I recognized the wrapping paper. One was for a little girl, 10 to 14, and one was for a little boy, 2 to 4. So my husband took the one, 
told, took the one for two to four little boy, and I was looking for a little girl that looked about 13. And this little girl who was there, kind of sitting in the corner, very removed, looked about 13, and I walked up to her. She wasn't very excited at all. Most children were very excited, mm -hmm. but she just wasn't. And I walked up to her after the gospel presentation with this, with this shoebox, and she wasn't interested. Mm. And the orphanage worker, now I, I speak Romanian, so I was able to, to speak with her, and she wasn't really responsive. And I asked the orphanage worker, and she told me that this little girl, her name is Maria, uh, she was dropped off on the steps of the orphanage the day she was born, wrapped in newspaper. Mm. So she has spent every day of her life in that orphanage. Mm. And she was just really not a happy child, you can imagine. Um, so Maria, she told me, the, the uh, orphanage worker told me that Maria's big dream in life was to have a family that would love her for five minutes and then would leave a picture behind so that she can hold on to that picture and know that she has been loved for five minutes. That was the desire of her heart. <laughs> and so here I am with this box, and she wasn't interested, so I just kind of started opening on her behalf for her, while on the very top of our box right there is the letter and the picture of our family. And we are literally right there. You know, and, and she's just kind of looking at the picture and looking at us. And I told her, I said, Maria, I want you to know that we did not pack all these boxes, but God wanted you. <laughs> to have the one that we packed. And she took that picture and ran away. And didn't come back for a while. And then she came back with an orphanage work worker who went after her. She ran to her room where she lived with 18 other girls in a bunk. And she put this picture above her bed and then she came back and then she started enjoying her box and we loved on her for a little while while we were there. But that just stuck with me so much mm -hmm. that just think about it, it's a picture. Mm -hmm and a letter mm -hmm. of how much it can mean to a child. So for everyone, it's something different, right? And, and just pray what God puts in your heart. What is God putting on your heart to put in that box? And just mm -hmm. trust that He has a plan for that. And He knows He will move through all barriers. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that your box was on that carton, if people knew, because when boxes are collected, you know, they go to distribution centers. There's several all over the country. Mm -hmm. So they're shipped and they, they don't, there's no way you could, you could do that. Only God. After hearing Isabella's incredible, hope-filled story, we wanted to remind you of how you can get involved and pray specifically this year. Uh, but before we close, I want to share 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 that says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, yet our inner self is being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal glory that is far beyond comparison. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. As Isabella mentioned, you know, the toys and the tangible items, they won't last forever. She doesn't have her items anymore, although she kept them for a really long time. They were so precious to her. Uh, but they will fade. And, and just like we know, our outer self is wasting away. But our inner self is being renewed day by day. The eternal impact of the box, spiritually, they will be renewed day by day. And so even though they'll never forget, 
the smell, the colors, and the items that were in their box, and the way that they felt, and the way they felt seen and loved by God that day. The greatest gift of the gospel and the discipleship that continues long after the shoebox is eternal, and it lasts forever. And so, um, but I also was reminded, you know, that there are setbacks, there are hindrances, especially with COVID. And we, we talked with Randy Riddle, the senior director for Operation Christmas Child Domestic. And he, you know, talked about how last year there were times where the team didn't know how they were going to be able to work through so many COVID restrictions. But God allowed us to pack 9.1 million shoebox gifts. And every time there was a roadblock or a, a door closed, God knew, and He went above and beyond our expectations. And so we trust, just like last year, that God is going to be faithful in this Operation Christmas Child season. And so if you want to hear updates straight from Randy, we're going to post them on Instagram throughout the week. But as we head into these next few months, we're reminded that we need to pray about these shoeboxes and about the children that will receive them. And so I encourage you to begin praying now for these shoeboxes that will truly go to the ends of the earth. And if you want to get more information on how to pack a shoebox, I encourage you to go to our website, SamaritansPurse.org. But you can also follow Operation Christmas Child on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to get more updates throughout the season. I hope that you were encouraged by Isabella's story and the hope that was found within a shoebox. And so as you pack, as you pray, Think of how many Isabellas around the world are going to hear the hope and truth this Christmas season. Thank you so much for tuning in and God bless you.